Now, Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. Hello and a very good morning. Welcome to this special edition of Scotland's Talking. We're going to devote the whole programme to marking the centenary of the end of the First World War. We'll be taking part in traditional silence at 11 o'clock at the exact moment the guns stopped firing on the Western Front 100 years ago today. Over the next two hours, I'll be speaking to historians to discover why this anniversary matters and to Russell James, who'll tell us how you can discover your family's First World War connection. And the fact is, we all have a personal connection to World War I. It was such a big part of our history. We'll be taking you to remembrance ceremonies and special events happening across Scotland to mark this day, including some very creative ones on Scotland's beaches. World War I was meant to be the war to end all wars, and really since that war, there have been a lot of wars. Every person who died serving Scotland at home and abroad will be honoured at the Scottish Parliament. When you look around Scotland and you see all these war memorials, you see the names on them, sometimes you don't give them much of a, a second glance. And we're also hearing about how ordinary Scots make their contribution to the annual poppy appeal. Just helping and knowing that it does make a difference because so much in the world nowadays you feel you're not making any difference at all. The phone lines will be open all through the show as usual for you to call in and share your thoughts and opinions on the things we're talking about. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Throughout this morning then, the phone lines, as I mentioned, open there for your comments or your thoughts, then I'd love to hear from you uh, regarding uh, memories or indeed does it matter uh, that we remember uh, 100 years ago? Number again is uh, 033-2020-401. Uh, joining me, our first guest is Professor Tony Pollard. Uh, Tony, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you this morning, then? Uh, a, a little bleary-eyed. I almost slept in, which is unusual for me. <laughs> we waking you up, though, didn't we? We're, we're your alarm call this morning, Professor. Just as well, given it's such a big day. Indeed. Why is the history of World War I, why does it matter? Well, I'll tell you why it matters for me, and I, I think a lot of what we'll be seeing today is, is from a personal angle, as opposed to the, 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 the broader image of the First World War, which is this massive industrial conflict. Um, in 2008, I had the privilege of spending three days in the company of Harry Patch, who is now famous as the last fighting Tommy. He was really the last man living who had fought in the trenches of the First World War. And I went to Flanders with him, um, where he unveiled a monument where he went over the top uh, near Passchendaele. And it was incredible to be with him, not least because at that time he was 110 years old. Wow. And it was, it was, it was literally being with history. And we had an incredible time, and we visited British War, uh, British War memorials and cemeteries. And I remember being particularly moved with Harry laying a, a flower on a, a German grave in a, a German cemetery. And Harry didn't start talking about his experiences of the war until he was 100 years old. And not many men lived that long, obviously, but I, I think for a lot of them, they didn't talk about the war, and they didn't talk about the war at all, and took those experiences with them to the grave. And Harry survived and into 2009, and when, when, he, when he eventually passed away, he was 111 years old. 
And it struck me then, I just thought that is that last living bridge to those epoch-making events. And now the responsibility shifts a little more onto my shoulders as a historian and an archaeologist who deals with conflict to make sure that Harry's experiences and those of the millions like him are remembered and remembered in a, in a, in a full manner. And that was really, for me, a, a light bulb moment. So I've, I've been convinced since then that uh, commemoration of the First World War is important. And we, we've obviously reached an important landmark today. But I, I think one of, one of the things that I see important coming out of the First World War is the recognition of the psychological as well as the physical impact of warfare on soldiers and those involved in it. And we're here looking at what was first called shell shock and then ideas developed into PTSD. And I do a lot of work today with veterans of more recent wars, many of whom have PTSD, uh, particularly through a project called Waterloo Uncovered, where we take veterans across to Belgium to do archaeological work on the, on the famous 1815 Battle of Waterloo. So we even remember battles much earlier than mm. the First World War. And to see the impact of two weeks spent in the outdoors on productive archaeological research for these people, men and women, is incredibly rewarding. And you can't consider their condition without harking back to the first time it was really recognized. Soldiers in previous wars did suffer from PTSD, and you know, we've got references from the classical world that suggest that ancient warriors had PTSD, but it's, it's the First World War that really puts that condition into the spotlight. And, and I think all the effort that I put in today and those of my colleagues in working with those who have suffered war, um, something that we've had the privilege, the vast majority of us have had the privilege never to have to do, um, I, I just find that incredibly rewarding. And I think the, re really the landmark is the First World War, and I, I think if we forget that, then the whole thing starts to unravel. And we, we've certainly at Glasgow University gone to great lengths to try and do that. We, the university alone, the university community, um, lost 781 alumni, staff and students during the war. And over the last four years, on the anniversary of each of those deaths, we've commemorated it in our memorial chapel, which was founded after the war. And we've laid a little cross for them, a poppy cross, planted a poppy cross in our memorial garden. And today we're approaching the full contingent of 781. And that, that is an incredibly moving monument. Anybody can see it near the university gates. And there are just hundreds of those little crosses in it, all packed closely together. And you get a, you get a sense of the time. And it's, it's quite a moving metaphor for decay because those that we planted back in 2014 are now starting to rot, rot away. And uh, I, I just feel that that engagement over the longer period has, again, emphasized that there are, there are all sorts of ways of remembering. Being a, being a scholar, I think that study and discussion is, is just as important a form of remembrance as standing at a war memorial and laying a wreath. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've also tried to engage young people, I think, hugely successfully. We've, we've had a collaboration between the university, Glasgow City Council and North Light Heritage, where we reconstructed a section of the Western Front in Pollock Park. So we've got a British trench, we've got a, pockmark, a shell pockmark section of no man's land, and then a German trench. 
And over the last three and a half years or so, we've had upwards of 5,000 school pupils go to that facility and study the experience of those who fought in the First World War. And we've not tried to recreate that. That would be distasteful. But what we, what we have managed to give a flavor of is the environment within which these men fought and died, but also survived and tried, tried to normalize because war, war is 99% boredom, 1% fighting in some mm. cases. And uh, I'm really proud of that. And indeed, if anybody fancies going out there today, we've got some special events on at Pollock Park today. The, the site's near the, the Burrell Collection, which is closed at the moment for a renovation. But if you go to the car park there, you'll see the signs and you'll, you'll see us behind the trees. And it's, it's a, I was there the other day watching 50 schoolchildren from Glasgow go through um, with our education officers. And I, I just felt really proud that that had been there. And the, re- the, reason, the reason we first came up with the idea, Olivia Lalong at Northlight and myself, was that we got talking to teachers and um, parents. And despite government attempts to provide grants for school children to go to the Western Front, which is a phenomenal experience, and I think every British school child should have the opportunity, but it costs 300, 350 pounds just for a couple of days. So we thought, you know, this is Glasgow, not everybody can afford that. Mm-hmm. So we thought, well, if they can't go there, we'll bring it here. And that's, that's what we've tried to do. We've had a wonderful bunch of uh, reenactors or living historians who live and breathe the period, and they've really brought the place to light. So I think when we talk about remembrance, it's important to continue to do so. But as I'm sure your listeners will hear today, there are many, many ways of doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I'm interested in the, you know, you're talking about school children going and visiting um, obviously engaging with those that are, are, are in study and it's, it's in school. Do you, do you think we're managing to engage with the age group, let's say, from from 20 to, to 30? Is, is, uh, there seems to be, to me anyway, I, I, I seem to have had some comments when I said we were doing this programme from that age group saying, oh, that would be interesting because I'd like to know what happens. So uh, 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 is this working? Is it en- are we engaging with that age group? I'd, I'd like to think so. We've, we've, it's certainly in the school curriculum, but these, these people have obviously passed through that. Now, if they fell through the net at school and, and didn't have the, the experience of, of learning about these events, I, I, think, I think it is up to us to try, to try and fill that gap. And certainly Digging In, which is our trench in Pollock Park, has tried to do that because it's not just school kids. We've had throughout that period, uh, on regular weekends, we've had events that are open to the public and open to that older age group. And we, we have had some really good engagement. So I, I think you're right. I, I, think there, I think there is an issue. Um, but again, if we, if we give up now, um, which is one of the arguments I've heard, oh, it's all done and dusted, it's ancient history, mm. then we're not going to have the opportunity to do that. And, and there's one heck of a responsibility um, if I may say so, on your shoulders, because to be taken out and to be with Harry Patch, he, what he was obviously deciding, if he didn't decide to talk about it till he was 100, he, maybe he just had that light bulb moment when he thought to himself, I'm going to tell somebody yeah. so that I can pass it on, and you were that guy. Well, it wasn't me. It was a chap called Richard Van Emden, and he's an amazing historian. And Richard's about my age. He's in his, in his early to mid-50s, and he grew up talking to First World War veterans during the 1970s when there were thousands of these, these wonderful characters around. And he started to collect their stories. And he, he heard about Harry um, late on as, as, as the number of survivors diminished uh, dramatically. And he went, he went to see him. And it, it was actually Richard saying, would you like to talk about 
your experiences that, that, that Harry opened up. And if yeah. it hadn't been for him, um, there are, there, there's a wonderful book co-written by Richard with, with Harry called The Last Fighting Tommy, which, which tells the story of his life. But um, I think Harry used to get slightly irritated at times because he would say, you know, I'm 100 or I'm 110 or whatever. Um, nobody ever wants to hear anything but the six months I was in the First World War. <laughs> very interesting to start us off on the programme today. Uh, Tony, thank you very much indeed for joining us. A pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Pro- bye-bye now. Professor Tony Pollard uh, from Glasgow University, University of Glasgow. Now... People are gathering on a number of beaches around the coast of Britain and Ireland today for an artistic memorial for the millions of men and women who died in the conflict. They are drawing portraits in the sand of individuals from the First World War. One of the locations is Ayr, and our reporter Natasha Reed is there. Natasha, a very good morning to you. Hello, good morning. Um, yes, so I'm standing down on the sand. It's a cloudy morning and the heavens have literally just opened, but there's still a little bit of sun breaking through onto this beautiful portrait. There are probably a few hundred people here all to witness it. And with me is Robbie Gordon. He's the one who's been leading the team, creating the image since around four or five this morning. Tell me a little bit about the man in this portrait. So uh, the portrait is of Walter Till. Uh, Walter Till is a is a is a fascinating uh, character. Um, I, as soon as I was told this story, I was totally captivated. Walter um, is uh, representing um, care experienced young people all over uh, the UK. As he was an orphan, uh, his parents died when he was younger. Him and his younger brother uh, grew up in an orphanage, uh, and when his brother was adopted by a family in Glasgow. Um, Walter um, went on. Uh, against all adversity become, to become the first ever black outfield football player. His brother became the first ever black dentist. So it's a family with real, uh, just with real achievements. Uh, Walter went to fight in the Somme. He took ill, uh, he had to come back. And when he was back, it was decided that Walter would become the first ever black officer. So he came here in Ayrshire uh, to do his training. Uh, and, and Ayrshire was the last place uh, that Walter uh, called home. And I know we spoke earlier in the week and you said it was going to be like one big final goodbye to Walter and all the others. How does it feel being here now and seeing seeing the portrait? The level of uh, respect and empathy and compassion that people have brought out onto this beach is wonderful. Uh, there have been people telling stories all day, uh, making artwork together, sharing uh, the poem written by Caroline Duffy. Um, and it's just been a, it's been a really wonderful experience actually, yeah. And we're starting to see the tide come in now. What will happen then? I think it's going to be a, a real... Already we're seeing people gather around the portrait um, and I, I think it'll be a real space for reflection. Um, as, as the outline of water drifts off into the sea, um, that marks 100 years uh, since Armistice Day, uh, since um, the end of the war to end all wars. And we can look at that ironically or what we can think about is why was it not the war to end the wars? And how can we move forward as a society in order to create a, a more peaceful uh, and a compassionate and empathetic world uh, for the young people of tomorrow to live in? 
Exactly. And we've put photos and videos up on Twitter of the image, and that's at Scotland's Talk In. There will also be drone footage soon that we'll have access to as well to tweet. Um, and as I say, very soon the sea will start to wash away this portrait and other tributes, remembering those who left our shores to fight for this country, but sadly didn't make it home. Natasha, I would imagine a very special place to be this morning. Oh, it is. As I say, the, the heavens have just opened, but this morning the sky was so lovely. Um, other people have been drawing silhouettes in the sands um, using specially designed stencils, um, writing messages of family members who they lost in the war, and just hundreds of people here all, all paying tribute. Natasha, thank you very much indeed for uh, bringing us up to date what's happening there. Uh, Natasha Reid live on Air Beach at the moment. Scotland's talking on a Sunday morning and we're talking and looking back very much today. And I think that it's in all this talk of people who were killed in wars, it's possibly something you may think, who, who, did, who did I come from? Where, where's my ancestry go? And I thought it was a good opportunity to ask Russell James to, to join us uh, from Ancestry. He's also a DNA heritage expert. Russell, good morning. Hi, good morning. So is it something that you're finding that more and pe more people are interested in getting into? Yeah, I'm particularly at, at this time of year, obviously the the World War 1 centenary 100 years since the end of the war is is such an important occasion, such an important part of our history. Um so absolutely at this time of year there is a huge focus on our history as a country and on people's connection to that history. Mm. And what what are we likely to find? You know, if we were to start putting our names into uh, the website Ancestry, what what we're likely to find? Do you think? Well, what what we find is our personal connections to well, our, our personal stories right the way through history. So the records, you know, bring to life um, people's jobs through the past, where people live, people's connections, people's relationships, um, and particularly when we look at at military history we can discover um incredible stories about where people fought their you know their um their whole careers in the army um but then beyond that and what we're what we're really looking at so we're working with the british legion at the moment to really bring to life um the home front stories from world war one um the thousands of people who were employed all over the country, um, fueling the war effort. These these equally important stories um, that are largely forgotten. Mm. It's amazing, isn't it, that you say they're forgotten? And then we normally, when this comes along, Remembrance Day, it's 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 then been and gone. But at the moment, it seems that people are really wanting to dig into the past and find out more. Yeah. So we did some research earlier this year that showed that two thirds of people around the UK um, admitted to knowing pretty much nothing about the home front. And it's because, you know, for the last four years where we've been talking about the centenary, with very good reason, most of the stories are focused on the soldiers. Um, but the fact is, so, I mean, around Scotland in particular, thousands of people employed in munitions factories, thousands of people employed in building the ships that were, were such an important part of the war effort. Um, and I think these stories have sort of been pushed to the back a little bit, and that's why we're so keen and, and at this such important occasion to to remember them and to commemorate them. Mm. I think I read somewhere that uh, there was an amazing 
uh, over nearly 500 ships were built in Glasgow and, and we're looking at a shipbuilding workforce which included 30,000 women. It's just astonishing. That's right, and it's, I mean, it's sort of two parts of that, right? The fact that there was such a huge effort, so these factories around the Clyde area and all over Scotland that had, you know, had already been important to, to the country suddenly were taking on this huge extra responsibility in building all these ships, all these munitions, all, you know, the railways. Um, but then, as you say, um, 30,000 women, and, and up until this point... Um, women had had sort of been you know their their role in society was uh, sort of ignored mm. um and and world war 1 was was such a, a step change in how um it was understood that women could do these roles and and they were perceived so differently after this so what when you first got into this what did you find out about yourself so my personal history um i my granddad um worked um he worked for peugeot um in the the west midlands um so i'd already known he was very into cars um but then what i actually found was his dad um was a mechanic his dad before him was a mechanic and it went all the way back to the sort of beginning of the automobile industry in the 1800s um and i think it's such a good illustration of how um you know, you can you can understand yourself to a certain extent, but then actually you can get this whole backstory. And then I'm I'm sort of ashamed now to admit that if someone says, "What kind of car do you have?" I go a blue one. You know, <laughs> um, but as I say, and this you know again, um, you know, connecting to the to the war story that we're talking about, it just shows how we're not just talking about history; we're talking about personal history. Um, and that's why I mean, so um, up until Tuesday, we've actually made all of our wartime records at Ancestry free, so anybody can go in and discover not just the the individual stories that we're talking about, but their personal connection. And the fact is, we all have a personal connection to World War One. It was such a big part of our history. And did you know that your your family were? Um, going back two or three generations were based in the, the Coventry area. Is that you, did you know that's where you were originally from? Yeah, so I knew we were um, in the area. Um, uh, I, I didn't know quite how long we'd been in the area, um, and I certainly didn't know this this story about the, you know, how, how essentially we've been part of the founding. You know, the West Midlands is so well known for building cars, and, and I didn't realise that we were a part of that, that my family was, a, you know, a key part in how this industry had developed. As you say, it's a fascinating uh, insight to your past when you actually dig into it. Um, and the offer to do that free until Tuesday is amazing. If, if uh, our listeners would like to get onto the website and find out a bit more about themselves and their uh, predecessors, how do they do that? What do they get onto? Uh, so it's ancestry.co.uk. Literally go in, um, type the name of an ancestor that you, you know the name of, see what you can find about them, start building your family tree, work your way back. Um, and like I say, you will absolutely discover a connection to World War One. You will absolutely discover a connection to these fascinating home front stories and hopefully a whole lot more as well. I know what I'll be doing this evening. Uh, thank you very much indeed, Russell, for joining us this morning on the programme. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. 16 and a half minutes away from 11. We will, of course, be observing the two-minute silence at the top of the air. Uh, the phone lines are there, as always, for you to give us your comments. 033 20 or indeed 
possibly some uh, memories or if you have an opinion about uh, what is happening at this time of the year. Let's go to Joseph and see what he's got to say. Joseph, good morning to you. Good morning, Ali. Good morning. So well, what's your thoughts today then? Well, through the family, Ali, I've lost uh, a lot of my aunties and uncles and cousins. And this photo is preserved for the First World War when my granddad and my grandmother got taken with one of the siblings. And that photo has been passed through the generations of family. My sister has passed away. She gave it to our oldest, my, my, my oldest nephew, her, her son, you know, and mm-hmm. he's got it. And that's the way we found out. So what happened was one of my, my nieces from England, my brother, he was in the forces, God rest him, he passed away, uh, phoned me to ask me where this, this photo was he heard about, you know. Mm-hmm. And with luck, my nephew's got it well preserved, Ali, for the day it was taken inside the... the, the, the as if it was hit, taken today, Ali, that's really good. And Ali, the sad bit it was, uh, only, uh, he didn't know the war, nobody knew the war was going to end then. But four months ago, when my gran was having the last sibling, and and it's, it was a, he seen him on his uniform and standing in the picture, but he kept, he, he was overstayed his two days, he, was, he actually was on leave in Glasgow Alley, and he overstayed two days because my gran was having a baby, and the, the family came and took him back and put him to the front line, and nothing was heard. One of the other who was lived in the street, now they all, the cousins and uncles all went to the army, they seen it what happened to him. But he's now, he's in a Passchendaele graveyard uh, near there, Passchendaele, the one next to it. And what happened was, I was out at the time, Ali, and my four brothers were getting older, Ali, they were, they were on the forces, and they got all that, no, that vet, bus that takes them, they used, you think mm-hmm. takes you over, and they were standing behind my, my grand, my granddaughter's grave, right at the back end of the, the, the cemetery, and they've all passed away, Ali, and I was the only one that never got to be in that four you know, concerning my, my, my granddaughter. And then one of my, my nephews, was a, he's a veteran, you know, he's 53 now. He went over with, a, you know, with his army unit, whatever it was, uh, and he, he gets, he's behind the, 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 the gravestone and all, and which is carrying through the family alley. And so it's a, case, it's, it's a case of keeping the memories going for you and your family well, then, is it? Well, it wasn't for my granddaughter. We wouldn't be here talking, Yeah, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, see these people that condemn our forces, the snowflakes and the PDs, if she come, people, they should be grateful that they able to speak freedom, you know, Ali. Right. We, we fought for that. We, we would have known that if Hitler, no Hitler, then the, 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 the German, the time of then, would have took over the country bad enough. Hitler would have done it. But the point is, that's where they fought for, Ali. They give us the, the, the future of our, of our families and kids and things to, to go that way and you don't interrupt to them. They can go wherever they want. That's where they fought for, Ali. Not it's to be freedom. persecuted. Yeah. yeah. OK, Joseph, thank you very much indeed for coming on with your uh, thoughts regarding today. Uh, John, I'll come to you in a couple of minutes. If you can just hang on, that would be great. I'm just thinking about the the last couple of weeks. I mean, you and I have seen so many volunteers been out and about across Scotland selling poppies, raising millions of pounds, which go to help support veterans. Martha Dixon is one of the most dedicated. She's been collecting for 67 years and has a regular pitch at Haymarket Station in Edinburgh. She spoke to Mark McKenzie. I started, funny enough, with a lady whose married name was Flanders. He appealed to our church for helpers, and I suppose I was quite young in those days. There's the, there must be a drive to keep you going after that amount of years, though. Um, what is that drive? What keeps you going? Just helping and knowing that it does make a difference because so much in the world nowadays you feel you're not making any difference at all. But my first boyfriend, when I was a very little girl, was blown up 
by a, a bomb um, when they were loading it. And my uncle also was killed during the First World War and another was gassed. So that's where the contact came from originally. So it's something that's very close to your heart and it continues to be. Yes, uh, I just feel it's something and my daughter now is also helping me. And as I say, we're down at Haymarket Station about seven-ish, get the commuters. And the r commuters recognise me and they'll say, see you at the end of the week because that's when they've got the money. But nowadays I get the men who've got no money by saying, text me because my tabard has a text number and all you have to do is text the number and then poppy and there we are, we've got three pounds from you. Can you remember the number? I think it, it's 708 double nothing. Well done, that's a brilliant sales pitch, Martha. <laughs> Thank you very much. I love the sparkle in your eye. <laughs> Thank you. It, it does mean that you meet lots of people and I encourage uh, people who are starting collecting if I knew there's a, a new built area and I say it's a great way to get to know your neighbours and just recently a man has moved into the house where a collector used to be and surprise surprise he said yes he would collect for me so he will get to know his neighbours that way. Martha Dixon at her pitch at Haymarket Station talking there to Mark McKenzie and that number again if you want to text is 70800 and uh, put Poppy on your message. Uh, let's go back on the phone lines then. John's here. John, good morning. Good morning, Ali. How are you, my friend? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. So what are your thoughts this morning then? Well, Ali, I listen... And my heart goes out to these people. My father was involved in the Second World War. He was seven years abroad with the British Army. And as he said, all the promises in the world were made. And when he came home, they handed him a demob suit and sent him on his way. Never had a job to go back to. Never had nothing. Never fulfilled any of their promises. Now, the government of this country has continued to do that. They spent as much money fighting against the gentleman who was on earlier was talking about um, stress coming back for the army and mental injury and mental health. And our government spent as much money fighting that it didn't exist, so they didn't need to pay them out when they could have just got on with it. The people of this country, and especially the elderly who gave so much for this country, have come back and have been let down by our government, who stand proudly with their poppy on, saying how terrible it was and all the rest of it, but don't strike a, a pen now. They're just discussing now that if you're an old-age pensioner, you've got to get means-tested if you want your allowance, your heating allowance. The winter comes in, if it's a severe winter rally, the, the numbers double and treble. And the biggest insult of all in this country is when our elderly get frail and they need help and they need looked after and they go into a home, the first thing we do is take the home off them that they spent their whole life trying to build up so that their children would have something of theirs to pass on. They take it off them. Please, if people are out there, Think about this. Think about what elderly who are out there who gave so much for the country. And think about it. It's the only word I can use is hypocrites. 
who stand there and say they've done this. Where pensioners get very little, where one of the, they, get paid, they get paid less than anybody else in Europe. Mm-hmm. As they're not treated right, Ali. They're not treated right at all. They don't get the respect that they deserve. They well, pay all their life into the national health, and they're now telling them that there isn't enough money because you're living too old. Put a cardigan on was one of the MPs said of your old. That's not the way to treat our old. That's not the way to treat the people who defended this country. John, um, I think you, you've said all that um, we need to be said, and we certainly have discussed them uh, in previous weeks, um, the treatment of pensioners uh, in general. But thank you very much indeed for bringing that uh, to us today. Just a reminder, of course, if you would like to comment, 0333 uh, we're working towards uh, the two-minute silence at the top of the hour. And in the next hour, I'll be talking about well, our political correspondent, Alan Smith, will be talking to the Parliament's presiding officer, Ken McIntosh, uh, about tonight's uh, 134,712 Scots who died name going up on the walls of uh, the Scottish Parliament. So we'll be hearing more about that coming up. Plus, of course, as I say, taking more of your calls. Uh, delighted to hear from you. Just repeat that number again, 033 401. This is Scotland's Talking. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Tonight, the name of every one of the 134,712 Scots who died serving Scotland in the First World War will be projected onto the wall of the Scottish Parliament. They include just not just servicemen and sailors, but also civilians like nurses and munitions factory workers. Our political correspondent, Alan Smith, has been talking to the Parliament's presiding officer, Ken McIntosh, about it. The Scottish Parliament has been proud to be part of the 100th anniversary commemoration. Uh, in fact, celebrating or commemorating all of those who died from Scotland uh, over the course of the war from 1914 to 1918. But as we come up to the 100th anniversary of the end of that war, we're putting together this projection and we hope it will be a very powerful, very memorable way to uh, remember each individual who died uh, in that horrible conflagration. More than 135,000 names, 135,000 men and women from Scotland. This is a war which shaped the last century. It shaped Scotland in many ways and it left its scars in this country and we are making sure that each name liveth. Can you paint a picture for us about this tribute and and how it looks? Well, the point of it is to start at five o'clock and to go on to midnight and to project each name, each of the 135,000 souls who died as a result of that great war. Uh, But alongside, and it'll take seven hours, it'll take from five o'clock to midnight to go through all those names. But alongside that, we're going to put up some quite remarkable images which tell the story of that war, tell the story of that terrible conflict, that devastating loss of life. And we think it'll be a very a very powerful way to remind us of the sacrifice of so many here in Scotland. And we are standing here at the, the wall where these names will be projected onto. It's a, a very interesting and, and perhaps a, a bit of an original idea concept uh, for this. Yes, we were uh, very pleased to work both with the National War Memorial of Scotland up at the castle and also with the Royal Edinburgh Military, the two are partners in this. The artist, Ross Ashton, uh, really is a a remarkable artist and has put this together for us. And we think it's a very powerful way to to try and capture each 
individual, each name will go up there. And if, for example, you have uh, members of your family, there'll be very few people in Scotland who don't have a member of their family, extended family, that didn't die in that war. Uh, if you contact the Scottish Parliament and look at the website, you'll be able to find out the time of evening uh, when the name will scroll up on the walls of this Parliament. And I hope people will use that as a chance to reflect on the lives that were lost. Yeah, you're expecting quite a, a number of people to turn out to, to see this, because, uh, you know, as moving as it is, it will, I'm sure, look quite spectacular too. Yes, uh, the point about this this work with an artist like Ross Ashton is to make sure that uh, people actually reflect that working with an artist it allows you to contemplate not just the names and the lives behind those names the lives that were lost cut short but actually what that sacrifice meant you know how did it shape Scotland you know when you look around Scotland and you see all these war memorials you see the names on them sometimes you don't give them much of a, a second glance but actually if you think about the way that Scotland was changed the suffragette movement that came in after it the way that um, uh, our society itself changed as a result the end of class-based society you know that was all as a result of that war and then leading of course to the second world war two wars that shaped the whole of the 20th century and I hope this as an artwork a powerful visual uh, artwork will get people thinking about what war means to them individually as well as to our country. Our political correspondent Alan Smith talking there to the Parliament's presiding officer Ken McIntosh, just one of the many things that are going on uh, today. A festival of flowers taking place at St Thomas Church in Castorfon and that starts at uh, 2 o'clock this afternoon through until 6 and uh, We'll just run through a few other things that are going on. Hopefully you'll be able to catch up uh, with Natasha back on uh, Air Beach and just find out how that's going down there. Also, um, beach art going on in St Andrews and up the Murray Coast as well. So we'll find out a bit more about them as we go along. And of course, as I've mentioned a few times, if you'd like to uh, comment, uh, give us a memory or indeed how you see it as it is at the moment, then the phone number is 033 401 uh, Stephen, how are you? Morning, Ali. How are you today? Good, thank you. Good, good, good. What's your comment then? What do you want to say? Well, my heart goes out to all the people through all the wars, Ali, who's died. And I don't think there's a family I've affected that's not been affected in the world because all our grandpas and relations all went to the wars and some of them never ever come back and are buried in unmarked graves around the world. My father was in Malaysia. He fought in the secret army in there. His grandfather was in the, the, the Chindas and all these. But another secret army. And my brother, he's up in the Elgin and he's got all the medals for these wars. But I just think it's time to draw a line, Ali, because there's too many people suffered, even in that Auschwitz camp and all that. And it was probably one of the bloodiest wars we've ever, ever seen. And it's barbaric. And I don't think we should be reminding ourselves of the next generation. I think we should just all grieve in silence, Alan. When you mean, Stephen, draw a line, do you, well, just, what do you mean? What are you, what are you saying? We should stop doing this? I, don't, I think we should do it and just do it in a wee small pockets because there's no war memorial anywhere in Scotland that hasn't got people's names on it. I know that we should be remembering them, but I don't think we should be glorifying this war. Because you must remember, Ali, so it wasn't for the coastline and about here. Not just Hitler, the First World War, we were finished. And we needed all the folk for the Commonwealth to fight Hitler. And Churchill was actually, they've tried to put a coup against him. So there was a pact with the Germans to take over. 
Yes, certainly. There was a lot of talk atrocities and a lot of brave people and there was unsung heroes and to the land girls, to the musicians, to the ship factories and all that. But too many people have lost relatives in too many in, in barbaric ways. I don't think we should be keeping reminding and reminding or even going to schools and telling children all these words. Just draw a line, Ali, enough's enough. You're raising up past memories folk don't want to hear. Plus, there's a lot of folk shot for desertion that's never have been shot, Ali. You can get into the whole set. If you actually sit down and look at the history, the history of the wars, I'm not too bad. There's bits I, that I could go through here, but the rest things in there, we shouldn't have been a mind, Ali. They're making it that we, we won it. We didn't win the war, Ali. It wasn't for Stalin and these people and the, the Americans and the Italians and the, the, the Australians. We were never a won, Ali, but I, I think the way I see it is as if we won it, the British folk won it. Mm-hmm. No, Ali, no, I just think enough is enough, Ali. And John was right. But that was, he was one of the, the folk that came out, they handed a D-mob suit and that was the end of them. But that was another subject because there was work after the war. We had to re- rebuild the country. And there was plenty of work, Ali. But we're, no, we're still painting the wars. But I don't think we should remind that. I don't even think we should get into schools. But even the colour of the poppy, Ali, is, is a bad, bad colour. And putting that red and into the waters and you see them all these buns I've got and all these rivers and streams and fountains red that's just blood alley to me they shouldn't have that colour it's a terrible terrible horrible colour what about a nice blue or something no I, I just put, put a line under it we've done the hundred years that's it enough is enough alley ok Stephen as we always say in this programme it's all about opinions and that's his uh, what is yours he's saying draw a line in it even talking about the colour of the poppy being the wrong colour. Um, Stephen has his thoughts and you may agree or may disagree with them if you want to come on and give us your thoughts. Has he a point? You know, we, we've reached 100, day, 100 years. Should we now be saying, that is it, let us let us move on? And uh, even Stephen saying we shouldn't be going into to schools and, and talking about what happened in the wars. So, you know. Um, it's it's worth worth a thought. What do you think? Oh, treble three twenty twenty four oh one. Just as we go through the rest of the program, just looking at several things that are going on uh, across Scotland. Four o'clock this afternoon, First Minister Nicola Sturgeon and the Princess Royal attend a memorial service at uh, Glasgow Cathedral. And if you're in Dundee, three o'clock this afternoon, an annual Remembrance Day service at the Frigate Unicorn. And we'll be talking more uh, about this in a moment. Scotland's talking the podcast. Well, I did say at the start of the programme we'd be crossing to our many reporters across Scotland live, and uh, joining us now is Kerry Ann Doherty at the Armistice Day Service in George Square. Uh, good morning to you, Kerry Ann. What's happening there at the moment then? Good morning, Ali. As you can imagine, we've just had the minutes, uh, the two-minute silence here. It was followed by um, some prayers and laying of poppy wreaths, and now we're just having some songs from the the bands at the moment. Can you hear it in the background? We can indeed. Yes, getting a touch of the atmosphere. It's um, it's absolutely lovely. It's a very grey and wet day, but that's not stopped the crowds. There's oh probably near to a thousand if not more here um, and when it fell silent it was absolutely amazing to see so many people you know just holding that 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 silence to remember everyone who lost their lives for us 
Indeed, it must be, um, I, 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 I was going to say, that atmosphere that you're talking about is something that you as a reporter will no doubt remember for many years to come. Oh, absolutely. Um, goosebumps, chills, you name it. it. It was phenomenal to see. And there's so many young people here as well who you know, are probably only just beginning to learn about war and about what war means and you know, looking into the people who did die for us and why. And that's phenomenal that they're here today as well, you know, standing side by side with veterans who have their medals all over their coats. Uh, and next to them you've got, you know, four-year-old children holding hands. It's phenomenal. It's the generations all coming together to remember. That's interesting because just before we came to you, one of our callers, Stephen, was saying um, we should be moving forward and this should be drawing the line under it. We shouldn't be um, saying to future generations, this is what happened previously, we should be looking forward. But there we have the younger generation um, taking part in that today. Oh, absolutely. And I think you have to be careful sometimes when you say moving forward because people misunderstand that as forgetting. And I don't think that's what people mean. Um, and maybe your caller didn't even mean that either. He's not meaning we need to forget. It's just time to move on and look ahead to the future and, you know, what else can we do? I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I'll clarify that for on Stephen's behalf. He was saying that um, we should have still have our memories, but we should be having the memories that we can keep to ourselves. We don't necessarily have to have the big events that we're having likes of today. Well, I think many of the veterans who are here today would tell you that it doesn't take just one day for them to remember the people who died beside them. They probably remember them every single day, as do the families who have lost people. So, you know, to have a big day where everyone else who perhaps hasn't lost someone personal to them, I think that's still important, but I get what he's saying about maybe it doesn't need to be as big. For everyone today, it's a day of reflection whether they're reflecting back to their own personal experience or indeed uh, to, to some of the stories that we've been hearing, um, not just on this programme today, but we've been hearing over the last few days leading up to today. For the moment, uh, we'll leave Kerry Ann with the bands playing in the background at the Armistice Day service in George Square in Glasgow. Let's go back on the phone lines and uh, Margaret's here. Margaret, good morning to you. Hi, good morning there. What's your thoughts then today? Um, I was a bit disturbed by your caller, Stephen, that, you know, we should move on and, and forget about all that. I don't think we should. Um, I, I'm in agreement in some ways with them, but I don't think we should forget. And, and OK, if we have the Armistice Day once a year, that's fine. But I think we should remember to let the young people know um, that war is not, is not the solver of problems. It only creates more problems, and especially those wars. I lost my grandfather in the First World War. My father, who never even saw his own father, was born um, at, at, during that time, and then he had to go to war, and his memories were so big that he would hardly even talk about it. The only time I ever heard him getting really angry about it was when someone came into the house and said something out of place about Auschwitz not happening. And he got so, so angry and so upset. So, you know, we have to remember these people, what they went through. And couldn't, most of them don't want to talk about it or it's very difficult for them. Mm -hmm. But I think we should bear in mind 
that war is not the answer to our problems, especially war where we send people out to get killed or kill one another from, you know, from different uh, countries. It's just not the answer. And I think we've got to remember history and teach it to the young people and, and let them know um, to find there's other ways to solve the problems. I, I, I just found it upsetting what he was saying. OK, Margaret, thank you very much indeed for your comments. It's all about opinions. And one of the things we associate with the First World War is the soldiers who wrote poetry in the trenches about the horrors of war. There are the famous names like Wilfred Owen and Siegfried Sassoon. Those two men have a connection to Scotland because they met during spells at Craig Lockhart in Edinburgh, which was used as a military psychiatric hospital during the war. These days, it's part of Edinburgh Napier University. So, from there, in the northeast, they've been remembering a Scottish war poet, Charles Ritchie Sorley. His image will be one of those drawn in the sand on beaches around Scotland today. He grew up in Aberdeen, and a plaque to him was unveiled recently at the Powers Community Centre. Our reporter, Joe Odber, has been talking to Councillor Ryan Hogton about Charles. Sorley was uh, from Aberdeen. He um, died in World War One in the Battle of Lewes in 1915. Um, and he's one of the great war poets that we have from Scotland and, and obviously for ourselves from Aberdeen. There was a, an, an interesting story about um, one of his most famous poems found after he died. There were, there were two lines that were recovered amongst his kit. And the lines were, when you see millions of the mouthless dead across your dreams and pale battalions go... Um, which are obviously quite kind of harrowing thoughts. Um, you know, the, the, these young guys, you know, would have, would have seen um, on battlefields like like Lewes. Now, obviously, it's a hundred years since since the end of that war, and it's difficult to 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 think about. But I suppose these poets do bring it home. There's a universality to to what they're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that that's one of the kind of special. Um, and unique things that kind of transcend all the different conflicts that um, you know we've had personnel in from a hundred years ago in World War One through to World War Two and, and, and in more recent times, uh, you know the words that are captured by those who are serving on the front lines, um, you know they penetrate right through and, and they give kind of a sense of the grim horror in some cases, but then also a sense of the bravery and the courage and um, displayed by you know men and men and women um, latterly. It does seem. I think this year there's a, there's a lot going on. I think there's any danger of anyone not realising it's happening. Absolutely. And I think what's one of the, the great things about this, what was his house is now a community centre. And to have the children there who, you know, they're going to be the ones, you know, long after you and I are gone, um, who will be carrying on, you know, the memory of, of what happened and what people from, from Aberdeen and from across Scotland and the United Kingdom and beyond, you know, went and did. Joe Orber talking there to Councillor Ryan Hogton about uh, Charles. Uh, let's go to Alex, who's called in. Alex, good morning to you. Hello. Thank you, thank you for calling. What, what's your point? Well, as, as I was just saying uh, there and now, um, I totally agree with the two-minute silence. It's hardly any amount of time out of a, a day. And mm. uh, When you think about what these people fought and gave up for, and young, I mean, a lot of these young men went away and they were so young. Uh, my son was in the services, and I was just saying he's thankfully out now. He's done his services in his home, and he's married, and he's got kids and things. But I was um, in my local supermarket there, 
and they had the two-minute silence. It was well announced, well in advance. And when it came to it, the entire store came to a complete standstill. Nobody moved. Nobody, and this job went up, used a self-scan, chatting on his mobile phone, making all this noise, and walked out. I thought, two minutes was all they were asking for. Two minutes. Do you, couldn't even do that. Do you think he, you know, you're talking about him being on his mobile phone. Do you think he actually was aware of what was going on around about him? Or was he He lost? heard it. Right, no, yeah. he heard it. He only, he only went on his mobile phone as he came down to the checkout. Everybody had stopped. The whole store had stopped. And, I mean, my great-granddad fought in the war. And, um, and I was just saying, I think they would turn in their graves if they knew what they fought for and what a lot of the young people are doing with their lives now. Fair enough, there's a lot of unemployment. But when you see these drunks and the drug addicts and they don't work... And it really does, you know, I think when you think what these people gave up and I think when they think, when they look down and they think, what, why did we do all this? Mm. Lack of respect, which is what one of our it, callers was saying earlier. It is. I mean, I've just been to church and um, as the parish priest came in, with, uh, they played the, the last post. Right. And it was so emotional. It was absolutely gorgeous. The whole service was beautiful. I mean, I came out and I went into the supermarket and I thought, I couldn't believe it. How it's so frustrating, you know that they're they're so rude. Mm-hmm. I, I know. don't see any I, need for that. I know. I can tell it's upset you, hasn't it? It really has. It really makes me so angry. I mean, at one point when my son was away, I didn't know if he was coming back. He was in Afghanistan, and it was just, you know, thank goodness he did get back. He got back safe. But there's loads of boys that went with him that didn't come back. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's so not. It's, it's not just the um, the war a hundred years ago. It's recent conflicts as well. You know that that people didn't come back. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. yeah. Alex, thank you very much indeed for for your call. Um, and as you can imagine, obviously it's 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 annoyed her that some people not uh, respecting the the silence. Uh, let's go to another one of our reporters out and about today, and that's Hope Webb, who's at the service in Edinburgh. Hope, good morning to you. Good morning. So, um, where are you exactly? So, I am at Edinburgh's city chambers, just at the Stone of Remembrance, where hundreds have gathered here this morning. And a special ceremony to mark the centenary of the Great War has just finished in the last few minutes. Uh, the First Minister was in attendance here to pay tribute, along with the Lord Provost of Edinburgh and members of the Armed Forces community. It was a huge ceremony, really, really poignant for many people here. They laid 100 wreaths at the Stone of Remembrance to pay tribute to the sacrifice of many 100 years ago. And as this ceremony has now just finished, a military procession is now leaving here and heading back up the Royal Mile to the Scottish National War Memorial at Edinburgh Castle, where a second ceremony is going to take place. A ceremony of commemoration is starting up there. Um, it's a very poignant day for the capital, a city with its own tragic connections to the First World War. So many soldiers from here were lost in battle in the Gretna Rail disaster and it's also the site of Scotland's only World War I bombing back in 1916. So an important day for many to be here to reflect and to remember so many that sacrificed all those years ago. I can understand the, the many as you're talking about being there from the 
from the services. But, Hope, do you get a feeling that uh, members of the public have turned out in numbers as well, those who just turned up to see what was going on? Oh, absolutely. There's uh, barriers were set out along the Royal Mile and people turned up in huge numbers here to, to be here really to pay tribute in their, their own way. I'm really bad at counting numbers, but I would say hundreds have gathered here on the Royal Mile and are now kind of taking their moment to come and glance at the 100 wreaths that have been placed at the Stone of Remembrance. I'm just inside um, the courtyards of the city chambers and lots of people are now coming through and taking their own moment to to reflect so lots of people turns out which is is lovely to mm. see in the the city center and as you say it goes on throughout the day absolutely there's a, a whole day of events taking place and i know later tonight at Holyrood's there's going to be a projection on the outside of the building of all of the names of Scottish soldiers that were lost back in the Great War. And I believe that's going to take hours yeah. just to get through all of the different names. So there's really a little bit for everyone to, to go along and, and pay respect in their own way. Hope, as always, thank you very much indeed for joining us from Edinburgh today. Thank you. There are monuments around if you know where to look for them. And there are also buildings, of course, that were used during the war as, let's say, a hospital, which now may be a hotel. Find out more in a moment. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. On Scotland's Talkin' today, we've been discovering how the legacy of the First World War is all around us. Some of it is physical, such as the war memorials in every city, town and villages across Scotland. And there are other monuments too, if you know where to look for them. Reporting for Scotland's Talkins, here's Liam Ross. Today, it's best known as a luxurious five-star hotel, a place where showbiz A-listers hang out when they come to Glasgow. But a hundred years ago, the Marhall Hotel beside the Clyde was a very different place. The rooms weren't filled with fresh flowers and champagne on ice, but rows of basic beds occupied by soldiers maimed by the fighting on the Western Front. It's a rich part of our history that's still continuing today and is really important to most of the people here. So a lot of our guests, when they come in, that's one of the first things they ask about is, you know, what was it like when it was a hospital? And they ask us what different parts of the hotel might have been when it was. So there's definitely a lot of interest from our guests when they check in and they're, they're asking us a lot about it. That's Alison Barley from Mar Hall explaining to me how separate wards were set up in the Grand Hall and now what is known as the breakfast room. The soldiers, as it turns out, were the first residents at what was designed as a grand stately home. After it was completed, it actually lay empty. It was derelict and never used. During the First World War, I think in 1916, it then became the Princess Louise Hospital for limbless soldiers and sailors um, and eventually part of Erskine Hospital as well. Shipbuilders from Yarrow's on the Clyde docks were drafted in to help make prosthetic limbs for the soldiers. They actually used this building as their, their base in the hospital um, and they used the skills from the Clyde side, from the shipbuilding, um, from the craftsmen there. The surgeon that was in charge commissioned them to help to make, I think, what was called the Erskine limb um, and that was made here. The soldiers and sailors were used also. They were taught the skills to help make it and actually help to make the limbs themselves. But while this building might have left those days behind, the legacy carries on. After the armistice, the Princess Louise Hospital for Limbless Soldiers and Sailors became the Erskine Hospital. Today, the charity has expanded across Scotland and is known simply as Erskine. But it still does vital work supporting today's veterans. Wing Commander Ian Cumming is the current Chief Executive. 
And then they've been very proud over the years because in total some 86,000 veterans and veteran spouses have been supported through the charity. Uh, and that's a, an enormous contribution to, to the well-being of the, of the community in Scotland in general. He says it's vital we remember those who gave so much for the country. You know, many made such a sacrifice that to not remember them and that sacrifice and the great loss and the impact it had upon them, their families and the community would be a travesty. Liam Ross reporting there for Scotland's Talking. Well, earlier on we heard from a reporter, Natasha, who was on Air Beach. Has it got any warmer, Natasha? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, the rain has kind of died off a bit, but yeah, still freezing. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're at a situation then, I would imagine more people have turned up to have a look at what's going on on Air Beach. Bring us up to date. Oh, yeah, hunt. Hundreds were here just to see this portrait and we've just had actually had a, a first look of the drone footage as well so you can see the portrait, uh, the portrait from up above and it's just incredible what they've been able to do here in the sand and, and how it looks. It's, it's absolutely breathtaking. Um, the tide has started to come in now and I think with the rain as well it hasn't helped and most of it has started to wash away now already as have the other tributes. But it's been just such an emotional one here, so powerful, touching for all those who lost their lives in the First World War. It wasn't just Walter Tull whose portrait was created in the sand. People were writing messages of their own to loved ones and family members, others drawing silhouettes and writing names underneath of nurses and other soldiers from the war. Um, but yeah, as I said, the tide is, is in and the rain is still on and still heavy and those are starting to wash away. The team who created them and those who turned out to wash are all now mainly away as well. And all that's left, is, as you can hear, is the peaceful sound of the waves gently crashing along the shore. All that's left is the peaceful sounds and Natasha. Still, <laughs> yes. still there to the end. Still. But they, yeah. they've been there some, some something like uh, the, they were there, as you said earlier, there from sort of five o'clock this morning, weren't they? Yeah, there, there was even some people out at two this morning because they had to sort of draw a little mark where the tide came up to. So there were people here from two and then they started drawing the portrait at five this morning. And um, they just finished, I think it was not, not long ago, and... Um, and yeah, so it took hours, but mm. if you head over to the Twitter at Scotland's Talking and, and look at the, the image of, of what they've created, you'll see why it, it took so long. It's just, it's incredible. Look forward to getting on there and having a look at the drone footage as well. Na Natasha, thank you very much indeed for being there for us yeah. today for Scotland's Talking. Thank you. The great sounds Thanks. of the beach as well, just uh, the waves crashing up there. A uh, couple of comments coming in on social media. Uh, Ali is a PTSD sufferer. It's not good to constantly drag up the past. Why do we wallow in remembrance when we allow our veterans to struggle with the hell of mental trauma? War doesn't protect countries or their peoples. It protects the corporate interests of their governments. Let us not forget that. And another one that comes in from Gregor. Gregor says, I have to disagree with Stephen. Should never be forgotten. They were all heroes, every one of them. And quite a few comments actually coming in regarding Steve's uh, Stephen's comments as well. I, I, I'm going to come out now a little bit in a defence of him here because he didn't say that we should move on and forget about them. What he was saying was we shouldn't be having these large remembrance days. We should be remembering in 
in in our own um, world, if you like, rather than having big ceremonies. So he wasn't saying, and there was a few people picked up that we should forget. He he didn't say that we should forget, but he did say that we should remember these things going on, but perhaps with all without all the pomp and ceremony that we, we see at the moment. So that, that was Stephen's comment. And as I say, always on this programme, it's all about opinions.